Again, it is it's good to be with you this morning. Thank you so much uh, for coming. This is our third and final week of our series that we've been looking at, this simple short story uh, called The Prodigal Son. In most of your Bibles, it'll be a little heading there, this word of prodigal, which is actually a King James word um, that was used as the translators translated uh, into English, um, that word uh, prodigal, this idea of almost like reckless, a reckless, and a wild is kind of the word we think we think of when we think of the word prodigal, but also from this story we see that we can kind of focus on just the younger brother and miss the importance of really the elder brother, which is what we looked at last week, and then today we're going to look at um, the father uh, this morning. Uh, I read uh, this week in Ernest Hemingway's uh, short story, uh, Capital of the World, and in it a Spanish newspaper carried a story about a father and his son, and the story was about a boy named Paco, it was a famous name. Uh, during that time and his father and this son Paco decided he was a teenager now like some sadly some teenagers do he ran away from home he was kind of done with his family they had a falling out with his father and so sure enough he takes off and he runs away and so for five months this father tried to find his son he's searching for his son and looking for his son and the, the father kind of as a last desperation in Madrid or in the area in Spain that he was he put an ad in the paper to find his son. And all he wrote was this, very simply. He said, Dear Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana noon Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love signed your father. And so, sure enough, noon on Tuesday comes, and in the lobby at, at, at noon on Tuesday in that Hotel Montana was 800 Pacos <laughs> hoping to get restoration with their father. And as Hemingway was using that as a tool, and I think that tool is, tells us something about, one, the human condition, and that actually when we look into our world, there's a lot of brokenness. There's broken homes. There's um, strife in homes and with parents and their sons. I remember, sadly, at my, own, my grandmother's funeral, the awkwardness of some of uh, one part of my, my mom's family who was there and the tension because there had been a broken relationship there. I think it speaks to the idea that there's a lot of people who are longing also for forgiveness. And maybe they think that it can't be found. Like, I've done too much. It's t- my sin is too great or there's, there's no hope any longer but as you even see in that story of these 800 Pacos showing up, is that there's a longing, though, to be restored. There's a longing in us to restore relationships. And we've seen two in this story, and this is just a short story, that Charles Dickens described as one of the greatest short stories that has ever been written. It's a story that William Barclay and others commented on. Great theologians have have dissected and looked at the story. It's been preached hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of times over the centuries because it is a great story because it teaches us so much about who God is. It teaches about the human condition and sin and our fallenness. It teaches us about brokenness and restoration. There's so much in just a few verses. And so I felt it worthy that we look at it over three weeks. We probably could look at it for another Three weeks, but just to recap the story, if you have a Bible, it's found in, in Luke chapter 15. And in Luke 15, 
Jesus is telling a story, and it's a short story. He tells three stories. He tells one, and we've been saying this over and over again. We don't, haven't looked and dissected the other two stories, but we see a lost a shepherd who has 99 sheep in the fold, but there's one missing. And the story is, as it goes, is that shepherd leaves, and he goes, he finds that one that's missing, and there's celebration. And Jesus compares that to heaven over one lost sinner coming home. There's celebration and joy in the kingdom over that one who was lost and is found. Then he tells the story again of a, a coin, and a woman had this, this woman had two, ten coins, and there was one that was lost and missing, and she tore up the house, sweeping it diligently, searching as hard as she could till she could find that one coin, and sure enough, she found it, and there was great celebration. And Jesus tells this third story. It's the story of the prodigal son, found starting in verse 11. I want us to read it one more time together. We're going to read it all the way through this time, from 11 to 32. So if you have a Bible, I want us to look at it together. And then this week, we're going to focus on the Father. So just pay attention, even to the descriptions. And we'll try to pull out, we're going to pull out these four points this morning and looking at the character of the Father this morning. But looking at the whole story, I want you to see it, starting in verse 11. And he said, so Jesus is telling this story. He says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. He wanted his inheritance now, before his father is even passed. Sure enough, the father, so again, notice every aspect of the father. And he, the father, divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. That's the, if you have a King James Bible in front of you, it says prodigal there, prodigal living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. I mean, again, this is a Jewish boy who's left his country, gone to a far country. And now this Jewish boy is now dealing with pigs, something that they wouldn't have even touched, something they wouldn't have ever eaten or dealt with. They wouldn't have been pig farmers. Here he is at the lowest of lows, and he's feeding pigs. And he was longing even now. It's gotten so bad for him. He's longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he's kind of rehearsed it. You ever done that before? Rehearse your kind of speech that you're going to give to something that you maybe want. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Stop. But the father said to his servants, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received back safe and sound. But the elder brother, look at his response. But the elder brother, he was angry 
and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might even celebrate with my friends. But when this, your son of yours, came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And the father responds in verse 31, and he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You can see it's a remarkable story. It's a powerful story. It's one that moves us. It's a story that just listening to it, there's something that it connects to the heart of someone who's lost and found, someone who wanders off but yet is received with such grace and forgiveness. What kind of forgiveness would, would this look like for someone to be mistreated so harshly? Because we basically said in the first week as we looked at the younger son, the younger son is treating his father as if he's dead to him. It's like, you're dead to me. I just want your things, not you. I don't, relation, I don't want relationship with my father. I just want his things. I want his stuff. I want you what you can provide me. But isn't that what we said a few weeks ago? Isn't that how we often treat God? God, I, I want what you can provide me, a good life, a prosperous life, a blessed life. I, I like your things. I like the thought of heaven, eternity versus <laughs> eternal punishment. Sounds great. I like your things. I like your offer. Your offer seems better than the other offer, so I'll take that. Or, God, would you bless this and bless this aspect of my life? Bless me with a good job and, and good health. And we're asking God to give us good health and protection on the road. And we so easily can treat God as a God who's a genie who's giving us things. And so we looked at that in the first week, how this younger son, is, he's, he's ultimately estranged from his father because he is passionate about pleasure. He wants to seek pleasure. But we looked last week and that really the story is really central to the elder brother. And the elder brother is one who's seeking acceptance from the father by being moral. He's, he's treating God as a master and he's a slave. Because remember, if you noticed, in, in, even in this story, as, as, the, as the elder son's responding, he's like, I, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've done everything. I obeyed all of your commands. He's like acting like he's a, a father or a, 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 a slave master giving orders and he's going to obey them. He's pointing to his obedience, his morality. And oftentimes people point to their morality when it comes to God. I'm good. Am I good enough? Do I measure up? Will God accept me in the end? Does my goodness, we like to put it on a balance sheet, right? We like to put it in like, does my goodness outweigh my, my, my wrongs? And I think most people think, well, my, I'm not that bad of a person, so I should be accepted by God. See, the elder brother is just as far, and I would argue further from, the, from his own father than the prodigal son who wandered off to a far country. He was near in proximity, but he was far actually in heart. And we find that the younger brother comes back into the family, but yet here the elder brother is left wondering, is, did he actually go in? Did he not? We don't know as Jesus tells the story. But I want you to see a couple of things because these two different brothers, 
One was ma- made glad over the grace of God. I mean, like, they're, they're, they're thrilled over the grace of God. The younger brother and the, cele- the picture of the celebration that's ongoing and going because of God's or the Father's grace on the Son, that He's welcomed them. We're going to throw a party and celebrate. There's gladness at this kind of grace. But then there's also people on the other spectrum, just like the elder brother, who are actually are actually mad over the grace of the Father and saying, wait, he doesn't deserve that kind of grace. He doesn't deserve that kind of celebration. He wasn't good. Come on, why are we celebrating? We never even celebrated me once, and I've been here the whole time. I didn't waste our money. I stayed home. I obeyed your commands, and we can kind of feel with him. And it reminds me of two characters in Scripture. One, Jonah. Jonah, who was angry. I know children's story, we always know the story. He just gets swallowed by a giant fish, and it's like, Oh man, he's running from the Lord. This, this, he learns his lesson. He prays out to God and God uses this fish to teach him a lesson and he goes back and he preaches the, the good news of the kingdom to repent. And sure enough, the people of Nineveh repent. But the rest of the story, the part that's not in your children's books is, is Jonah sitting on the side, angry over God's grace. He's like, this is exactly why I didn't want to go in the first place because I knew that you would be a forgiving God to them. He was angry. Why would Jonah be angry? He thinks those people, the Ninevites, don't deserve the grace of God just like the elder brother, and just like the Pharisees. And if we're not careful, just like us. Now, I'm preaching last week's sermon, so we've got to move on. So, so looking at today, I want us to see the four characteristics of our Heavenly Father. It's beautiful. Beautiful story, one that I think is filled uh, with such descriptions that they're worthy of our time and spending a whole message on it. So I want to look at just four characteristics of our Heavenly Father from this Father that we see in uh, our story today. The first is this, just simply, it's a pretty simple outline this morning. First is this, the Father's, I want you to notice this, the Father's love is extravagant. It is absolutely extravagant. Isn't this story incredible? I mean, I think when I look at this story, I just, I'm amazed by it. It just, it moves my heart. I think it moves us. Everyone loves a good love story. I just wish Hallmark could just make slightly better movies. You know, it's like, oh, it's moving, but it's like, man, those actors are terrible. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure I could do that, right? But my wife still wants to watch them. I'm not sure. I, I, it's one of those things, you know, you just, because I think we're moved by these kind of movies, a love story, a, 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 or seeing two people who have wandered away, who there has an obstacle in the way, and then yet how in every movie, right, you've got to overcome that obstacle, you know, it's, and it's always a Christmas movie too somehow, I think, as well with Hallmark. But, um, but I think we're just moved by these things because we're, our hearts are moved towards extravagant love and we want to be loved. We want to experience this kind of love. And for some of us, maybe we've longed for that kind of love from our actual earthly father and just never received it. Maybe we're mistreated or abused. I think our hearts, though, long for this. And I don't think I really fully understood this kind of love until... I had children. And for those of you that, that have had the opportunity to, to have a child, when you take that child into your arms in this, in this miracle of the birth process, this wonderful amazement of this, there's this terror that comes over you as a dad. At least it did for me of like, oh no, <laughs> I've got to make more money somehow to pay for this child and for all these things. And you start just running through your head of all the different things that have got to go into, like this child's got to get home safely. 
you right? Like, you're like triple checked. I don't know. I had police officers like check our, we had like people check our, our seat, our car seats, make sure these things are good. Cause I'm like, I don't know what we can make from, you know, point A to point B and this child still live in this car seat. And so, but this, the amount of love that comes, but then when we had Colson, it's like, you're just, I mean, your, your love for this child, but then we had a, a second child, Levi, and you're going like, can I love someone else? Like I love my, my, my firstborn son. And yet somehow, there's more love that comes from you towards this other child and then to more if you have more children but there's something about that that teaches you something about selflessness that you can't you can't you can no longer try I mean you can be if you choose to be but you'll be a terrible parent you can choose to be selfish and self-centered and be like I don't care you cry stop crying like you just get angry at your children and 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 kind of push them to the side there's something about this aspect of children and holding them in your arms and then experiencing this kind of love. You quickly realize how hard it is to say no when those blue eyes are staring at you. You would, you would move heaven and earth to let them know they are loved. You want them to know. But I know I'm not perfect and I don't always communicate that the way I should. I know that I'm not a perfect father, but I love that scripture tells us that God is a father and he's perfect. I think for some of us, it might be a, a, like hard to see that God would actually be a father to us and it be a good thing. But here's the reality. I love Psalm 68, 5 and 6. It says this, that Talking about God, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Listen to this in the next verse, verse 6. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are his child, you get the full experience of his extravagant love for you. It is available to you. It is perfect while his son was in the far country, the father, think about this, the father hadn't forgotten his son. We, we pick this up as Jesus is telling the story because the, the, the younger son, he comes to himself. He has this lowest of lows moment where there's a lot of clarity that comes to his mind and he understands his brokenness and his desperate need of rescue. And he's like, okay, I remember my father. I remember his home and I'm going to, maybe I'll just go back and hopefully I can just be a servant in his, his home. But if you remember, it tells us in the story, still while he was a long way off in verse 20, he saw him. While he's way off in the distance, it's as if the father was looking and waiting and longing for his son to return home, to repent and turn back from his lifestyle and his, and, and his trying to break their relationship and go on his own way in a, in a far country. He's waiting for him. He's longing for him. But even from the other stories, we don't see it as much in this story, but we see it from the first two parables that Jesus told is that he's also, God is also a seeking God, just like the coin. The picture of the shepherd going out and finding the lost sheep in the far country. You see, this would have been the responsibility, this should have been the responsibility of the elder brother. It would have been, in this culture, the elder brother would have been the responsible one to be like, no, 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 I'm going to go after my brother. I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to go find him and bring him back. We'll, we'll bring him back. I'll be the elder brother. I'll be the responsible one. And I'm going to go try to bring my son back. See, this elder brother didn't have it. He didn't do it. He wouldn't go. 
But as I think Tim Keller so well put in his um, book, Prodigal God, he talked about how the true elder brother is Jesus. The elder brother here, he falls short. Our true elder brother is Jesus who does go to the far country, who comes to our planet. He leaves heaven's throne. We sang about this earlier. He leaves heaven's throne and enters into the far country to go to the depths of sin and despair and to take that upon himself. This parable shows us so much about God's heart and his extravagant love for people. Listen to the descriptions that are just mentioned here in these verses. He's still a long way off. His father saw him, so he sees him. Notice this next word. This is this really, really deep, strong word in the Greek. This word that we translate in English oftentimes as compassion. It's, it's this picture of this deep something within like your intestines is the way it would read in the Greek. It's this deep felt emotion that comes. And this father, it's not something you just manufacture. You don't manufacture emotion like this. Compassion isn't, it's not, you can phony it, but it's real compassion. It comes on you. It overwhelms you. And that's over and over the description of Jesus in the New Testament. He looks in the crowds and what does it say? He feels compassion on the people. And so what did he do? He would go and he'd heal the sick. He would raise the dead. He would bring sight to the blind. He would, he would do these things because he saw the brokenness of this world and his heart and his emotion, his compassion for it. And here the description is he has compassion on his son. He felt compassion. And notice this. He runs and embraced him and kissed him. Again, that word kissed, it's as if he just kept kissing him over and over again. My kids, if I kiss them, they always just hate my beard, I think is the problem, maybe. maybe. Maybe it's the beard, I'm not sure. But the idea is just lavishing your kisses all over your son. And here's the thing. He doesn't wait for him to clean himself up. He probably still smells like swine. He still smells nasty. probably smells awful. He's been, he has no shoes on his feet. And here the father just, he lavishes himself. He is this, this description of extravagant love for his son, he feels compassion, like in Psalm 103, 13 tells us, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. You can't help but think of him, how deep the father's love for us, how vast beyond measure that he would give his only son. I mean, think of the compassion and the love of the Father, that he would embrace the Son who had denied him, who had hurt him at the deepest of levels. And he doesn't say, let me, let me fix you up, let me clean you up. No, he embraces him. He doesn't wait till he cleans himself up. He embraces him. This first characteristic of the Father we see is that his love is extravagant. The second is this, is the Father's forgiveness is complete. The Father's, not only is this extravagant type of love, there's also this this type of forgiveness that is complete. It's not partial. It's, it is full and complete. It's all-encompassing. There is no earning your way back into good graces. It's just like that story of Paco, right? Like the, the father saying, all is forgiven. He's not waiting for his son. He's like, I've already forgiven you, son. I just want you to come back home. 
The idea of this forgiveness is complete. There's no, there's no like, all right, well, let me just dangle this, this mistake you've made over you and let's see if you can make your way and earn your way back into good graces into our home. You can start out in, the, in this part of the property, way away from the family home. You can start earning your way back until you pay me back what you owe because of you wasting it. No, the forgiveness is complete. I think the way that I, I think the way I experienced this probably the most in my life was um, when I think of times in my life where I have made mistakes and poor choices, and yet someone would forgive me. I remember Amanda and I, you know, like when you're in a relationship, right, you have those conversations where you're like kind of sharing your past, like the good, the bad, and the ugly kind of thing. You're having those conversations, and I remember Amanda and I, you know, as we're getting to know each other, it's like almost seven to 18 years ago or something, um, as we were just getting to know each other, sharing kind of the struggles and the, the not-so-pretty sides of our past and different choices and, and different things. And I remember thinking, because I'd been in a previous relationship where I felt, like, I felt like I was giving but not receiving. Like, I was wanting to love this person, but yet I felt like I was trying to earn it. Like, like I'm, just, I'm not sure this person really loves me, and sure enough, she didn't. <laughs> and that was okay, because it's what led me to my wife, Amanda. But at the time, I remember feeling like, man, I just don't think I'm good enough. And I think I started feeling that, and I was treating God that way too, that I'm not, I don't measure up, and I don't measure up. And I remember, though, as we were sharing and, and talking and, and, and sharing that, when I sensed that Amanda loved me despite my flaws, despite my, my shortcomings, despite, despite some of the past mistakes I had made, I had never felt more loved in my life because it was like I've, I've, I've been exposed and you're not leaving? I feel like that's what we see here is the Father says, you are completely and utterly forgiven. There's no holding it over you. There's no like a point back to the past. Forgiveness is available and full. Uh, we, we sing a song, maybe some are familiar with it or not. It was the second song we sang today. It comes straight from Scripture. It's one of my favorite psalms in all of Scripture. In Psalm 130. In Psalm 130, he says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. He says, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. He's crying out of the depths, and he's like, I'm desperate. I need forgiveness. There's, there's no hope. All I can cry out to is mercy. If you've never been there before in a relationship on this earth, or if you've never rec- recognized your need with God, something happens when you connect on that point. When you connect to like, I can't, I mean, because, you know, I, I can usually get myself out of a situation, whether it's with words or with choices or remove myself, or I can do it myself with forgiveness. I couldn't, I couldn't get it. I needed God's forgiveness. And so out of the depths, as the psalmist says, I cried to the Lord. And here, this younger son has been in the depths. He is desperate. There is no way out except to be is to call out for forgiveness for his father. And guess what happens? The father, is what we learn about our heavenly father, is his forgiveness is complete. It's thorough. There's no like, oh, he didn't forgive this. I forgive you this, but not this. No, it is complete. And I think all of us are longing for that kind of acceptance and that kind of forgiveness. And here the father embraces his son And the father doesn't even let him get his plan out. He's trying to tell him his plan, like, I'll earn my way back. He's like, no, no, no. He starts giving orders to everybody. All right, we're having a feast. See God in the story. See his great love for us. 
You know, the father doesn't throw a fit, or if you've ever done this, I'm a pastor, so I can tend to do this with my own kids and people in my life, is you can kind of give a little sermon. <laughs> you know, you ever done that as a mom or dad? Give a little sermon to your two-year-old, and you're like, this two-year-old has no idea, does not, no, is not connected with your little sermonette. And so you give your little sermon. He doesn't give a speech to his son like, what were you thinking? Why did you do this? There was no sermon. He just, he just wraps him up into his arms. He cuts him off. He says, you don't need to earn your way into this home. You're my son. He doesn't throw a fit or turn it into a sermon. He throws him a party for coming home. This is what all of heaven does when we turn from our sin and go to the Father. And so we see the Father's forgiveness is complete. Thirdly, we see this, is the Father's grace is lavish. He lavishes His grace on us. The Father's grace, He doesn't hold back. He's not going to hold back and like, let me give you a little bit, Let me, because like, I know you wasted it away, so I don't want to give you too much. You might waste it again. What does He do? Look at the story. He continues on, while his, father's still, while his son's still a long way off in verse 20, his father saw him and felt compassion, ran, embraced him, he kisses him. We see all these descriptions. And the son gives him his speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. End of story. You don't get to finish your earning your way back in here. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. What was this robe? What is this in this, this uh, Jewish culture what would this robe signify this would be the best robe the 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 head of this home in this in this area who's providing jobs to to countless number of people in this whole village he would have had the nicest robe and it would have only been brought out as special occasions I mean, it would have been like embroidered i mean fancy that's why we have the picture of joseph and remember the the robe of many colors and the fact that he would give it to his son and how all of his brothers remember i mean they they were so upset about this son getting the robe that they killed him or they tried to kill him and then they said well maybe we shouldn't kill him let's just sell him as a slave Man, I hope I, my brother would never do that to me. But like, think about that, that robe, what it signifies. And this robe was for special ex- occasions. It was expensive. And he says, go get the robe and put it on my son. This same word for robe is the robe that we see of this robe of righteousness that Christ gives us through his righteousness that we don't deserve, that he clothes us with his righteousness. He says, get the robe and let's put it on my son. He not only says, let's get a robe. He says, he continues and he's like, go get the ring. And this ring is this picture of a membership in the family. Only the sons would have worn this special ring that signified sonship in this family. He says, here, you are no longer a slave, but you're a son. You're not going to earn your way back into this family. You're a son. So I'm going to put this ring on your finger. What else did he goes? He goes and gets shoes. And it was, a, again, a picture of joining in the family because servants wouldn't have worn shoes. Only the family, this family would have been wearing shoes. And he goes, goes get shoes. Put it on his feet. And then he says, let's feast. Get the fattened calves. I mean, the, again, for me, you know, if you're asking me what I want for lunch or dinner, it's usually going to involve meat. I like meat. I like to eat meat. It's great. I know it's not as healthy. I get it. I understand. Uh, but here, something, I mean, in this culture, they would not have eaten much meat. And here, they're going to have a feast, and he's like, go get the fattened calf, something that would have only been done on a special occasion. Here, this son who's wasted the property, who's, who's left home and is, is coming back broken, 
But yet the father re- runs out to him. He embraces him and says, all right, here's the ring, here's the robe, here's the shoes. Now let's go get, a, let's get all the town, let's get all the servants together, let's get everyone together because we're going to celebrate over this. Do you see the father's grace and how lavish it is for us? He's so gracious. He doesn't hold back. There's, there's not like an earning here. I, I, I mean, what a gift of grace. I love how Paul puts this in Romans. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you even to turn there. In Romans 7, in Romans 7, so it's not too far after you get past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. In Romans 7, you see in 7, Paul's at war. He's at war with his flesh, and he's like, the things that I, I, I know I should do, I don't do. And the things I know I'm not supposed to do, I do. I keep giving in to sin. I get tempted, and, I, and I'm just wrestling my flesh and my spirit. Like I long to do what's right. I long to pursue the, the Lord, but yet I still struggle and I fail. Listen to what he says in verse 24, seven, uh, Romans 7, verse 24, right at the end. He says, wretched man that I am. He's like, I'm wretched. I'm no good. I'm worthless. I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve acceptance. I'm, not, I'm just like this younger brother. I don't deserve it. He says, wretched man that I am. And then the question he puts out there is, who will deliver me? Who's capable of delivering me from my condition? Who can deliver me from this kind of sinful state that I'm, at, that I'm in? And he says it in verse 25, thanks be to God. God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then he says, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then one of the greatest pronouncements there is in Scripture, verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're completely forgiven, and it's all of grace. Every bit of it. Nothing is deserved. The elder brother tried to earn it. Didn't work. He's just as alienated and, again, I would argue more alienated than his younger brother. Why? Because you can't earn it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, lest anyone should what? They should boast. We can't boast in our accomplishments. We can't boast that I found God like he was playing cosmic hide and seek and I'm the one who found the corner of the universe where God was hiding. And I can be like, look, I found him. I searched and I climbed Mount Everest and there he was. No, God condescends to us. He comes down to our planet. He goes to the far country and he searches us and in his grace he opens our eyes. And that's what he was doing with his young, this younger son in this story. While the sun was far off in a far country, God was very near. He was working through all the stories, all the aspects, all the wasteful living that the younger brother was going on. And I want to end with this final point. I think it's an important one for us to see. And you can easily miss it in this story, but it's a truth of Scripture, and I see it in this passage as well. And it's the fourth one is this, is to see not only is the Father's grace is lavish, not only is it extravagant love, not only is His forgiveness complete, I want you to see this final one is this. The Father's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. See, the Father's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. But I want you to see something that can be, I think, easily missed in this story. 
Because, I mean, I've missed it for years. It's not like it's some amazing discovery or something. It's full of Scripture, but in the story, it tells us, you know, just as it goes, there was a man who had two sons in verse 11. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. That is a bold request, right? But what does the father do? The father doesn't give him a speech and say, no, like I've done to my kids several times when they've asked me for something. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No. He doesn't do that. He says, okay, you can have it. I know you don't seem like you want me, but I'm going to be kind. I'm gonna, oh, sure, we'll divide the property here. Go. Go live the life that you want to live. He's kind. We would, we would think he's unwise. Like, why would you do that? You know he's going to waste the property. Well, we also know that about God. He's sovereign. He knows all things. He was not... Jesus is telling the story. Reminder. <laughs> Jesus is telling the story. He's made the story up, telling a story to teach us something. And there's a lot that he's taught us in this story. But I want you to see that God was working through this story. And, and here's the thing, and I want, I, don't want, I want to be careful here. I, was trying, I worked a lot on the, the wording uh, in this section because... One, I believe God is completely sovereign, that God does the work of saving. He opens our blinded eyes to see the gospel, that it's not anything good in me. Like It goes back to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved. The vehicle to receive the grace is by faith. But ultimately, God is giving us through his sovereignty, through his wisdom, is giving us the ability to even repent of our sins. He's pursuing us. He's chasing after us. He's seeking those who are lost, just like we saw in in our scripture reading earlier in John 3. And here in this story, he's pursuing the son through this son's sinful living. He lets him go off to the far country, but if he never goes off to the far country, maybe he's going to end up just like the elder brother, close to home, but far from the father. But God used his sinfulness, and God was using this younger son's lifestyle of sin that led him to the lowest of lows. But guess what? If he never got to the lowest of lows, he probably never would have responded to the grace of the father to him. You see, the father's kindness was meant to lead him to repentance. The kindness is the same kindness that the elder brother is experiencing at the end of the story. Look at it too. In verse 21, he says, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. Oh, sorry, further down. Uh, In in uh, 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. But notice this. He's angry. He's upset at his his father for throwing a party for his wayward brother. And he's like, no, I'm not going to this party. But what does the father do? He's kind. He approaches his elder son. He goes out to his elder son and he says, would you come? Greek here. He entreats him. It's this deep invitation, pleading with you, come join me in the feast and celebration over your lost brother. Come in. He's being kind to him, and it's meant to lead his elder son to repentance too, to turn from his morality and put his faith in the gospel. Look at Romans again. I, I, I love, and I love Romans. One day we'll walk through the whole book together, Lord willing. It'll take us a long time. It's so good, but Romans 2 when I'm doing scripture reading and I get to Romans every once or twice a year, chapter 2 is one of the most convicting uh, for me personally. But I want you to see this and don't miss this. 
Verse 4, Romans 2, 4. It says this, Or do you, it's a scary word, I don't want you to see it, presume. Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience? You see, God might be being extraordinarily kind to you, and it might be kind in a weird way, through difficulty, through trial, through hardship, through struggle after struggle, and you're going like, God, you are not being kind. But in His kindness, you might be opening your eyes to your need of Him. And he says this, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance? Him holding back, forbearing, not giving you what you deserve. He's holding back, forbearing. Forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And another strong warning, verse 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, unrepentant, not willing to turn from sin and go after the Lord. Your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You see, that's exactly what's happening to the elder brother. The father has been kind and good to him, and he's now becoming resentful of his goodness and grace on a younger brother who was wayward. His heart is hardened to the love of his father. He's only seen him as a slave master and that he's just this slave. I'm, I'm to just obey your commands. I'm to just do what you want. He's so far from the father's heart that that kindness was meant to lead him and it's meant to lead us to repentance. You see, this is not permission to sin. This isn't lazy by the Father. It's His wisdom. He always does what is right and good, and He's doing it to lead us to repentance. Our response is to put our faith in Him, to turn like the younger son who had a a waking up moment, came to his senses and said, I'm going to return to my Father. He made a decision to turn from his lifestyle of sin and his desperation and go to the Father. Here the older brother is saying, I'm not going in. I can't go in. We actually don't know if he does actually go in or not from the story as Jesus told it. I love how C.S. Lewis, I know many of us maybe have read some of the Chronicles of Narnia, at least watched the movies probably. But in C.S. Lewis and the horse and his boy, he tells the story of a boy running away, but while on his journey, he is always hearing footsteps behind him. And sometimes the boy would hear an occasional roar off in the distance, and Lewis would explain that this story was told, the way he told the story was how he had experienced God. And he described it this way. He said, God was whispering to me in my pleasures, telling me there was something more. That I was missing something. He was whispering. He was always behind me, whispering like there's something better, there's something greater. And he said, or the desperate feeling I had in my pain. You see, God is working all the circumstances in your life. When you think about all the decisions you've made in your life, all the poor choices, good choices, bad choices, all those choices should lead us to repent of our sins and put our faith in this loving, gracious, forgiving, kind God. And He's waiting with open arms to accept you into His kingdom and to celebrate like he's celebrating here. He's saying, come, join me in this feast. Join me in this celebration. The invitation 
is there for us. And sadly, many of us are presuming on the riches and kindness of, and forbearance and patience. Not knowing, as, as Romans 2 foretells us, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Will you put your trust in the Lord? If you already have, will you continue to pursue him? Will you bask in the gospel, the good news of our Savior who has given his life so that we could be saved? If you are a follower of him, would you tell others about him joyfully? Tell them, like, come join the feast. Like, come, like, let's celebrate and eat together. Let's join in the celebration of his kingdom and his rule and his reign. Let's glory and bask over the Father's goodness and kindness towards us. Let's let other people know. But again, if you've never placed your faith in Christ alone, maybe you're outside the kingdom like the elder son who is trying to do it through morality, being good. Or maybe you're like, I've wandered away. I have not lived the life that I should have lived. Both are, are able to be accepted in the kingdom. No one has gone too far and too high and too low and too wide from God's grace. Every bit of his grace is able to overcome every choice sin, every unknowing sin, every sin that we could ever commit. Put your hope in Christ. Let me pray. Our Father, thank you that I get to call you my father. You're a, thank you that I, I did have a good father. I pray to be a father like I see in this story. God, help me to be kind and gracious and, and gentle and good um, to my own children. And uh, Father, I thank you that you give us the perfect example of self-sacrifice, a willingness to give and to serve and not just to be served. So thank you, God, for this great example. Thank you for this story. Thank you for this wonderful story, a story of redemption, of, of restoration, of forgiveness and grace and mercy. I pray that there would be someone in this room, maybe who's far from you, who would draw near, not far in a sense of maybe even they're, they're here, they're, they come consistently, but yet their hearts are far from the Father. I pray that they would draw near again afresh and new and be amazed at the wonder of the gospel, the goodness of our great God. Thank you that you have been kind to us that you're quick to forgive and abounding in steadfast love. May that move us to live wholly devoted to you, not ever to earn it because we never could, but I pray that it would lead us to live for you and your glory this week uh, and that would make you known to this community. I pray that we would be a light here as well. We ask your blessings on our, each of us uh, this day and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.